preached all over the United Pentecostal Church. A young man, a young man that embodies what the Word of God wants us to example to a world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. A man is a preacher, but I'll, I'm going to tell you that before he is a preacher, he's a man who lives what he preaches, and he loves the Word of God. Brother Scott Graham is one of those young men among us, young voices among us, that God is using in this hour. I said to him last night, the message he preached to us in this camp meeting last night is the message of the hour for the United Pentecostal Church International. It's a clear sound, but it is a sound that is seasoned with the love of God. A love that says, I love you enough to tell you the truth, and then to lead us into that truth. Brother Scott Graham, would you come tonight? Let's stand all over this building. It has been our pleasure to have you. You have blessed this camp meeting, and you will tonight. And God will use you in a marvelous way. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I am so glad to be saved. I don't want to get over the wonder of the greatest miracle that has ever happened in any life. He washed my sins away. I'm such a debtor to Calvary. And I am so, so thankful to be with you. What a treat for me to be with you this week. And thank you for your kindness in just receiving the word of the Lord, allowing me to preach with passion. I start, generally, there's many thank yous that should be offered. And I, am, I, I pay proper respect and honor tonight to Brother Russo and to Brother Elms and to this district board. Thank you for your trust. Thank you, for Brother Russo, for referring to me as a young man. I'm very grateful. I have decided, as I have been privileged to travel around the country just a little bit, that there is a direct correlation between how nice the people are and how nasty the drinking water is. And you are some nice people. Ah, oh, there we go. Thank you. I, first time I was in Lufkin many years ago preaching at a youth camp. We went out to a restaurant. The lady sat down some tea. I said, uh, I I'm having water. She said, that is water. Okay. Maybe you have a Pepsi or something, you know. But you are so, so kind to me and to my wife. I'm delighted that my, somewhere my wife and my daughter uh, are here with me this week. I'm so gratified by that. Brother Henson has been extraordinary. I thank God for a man able in the scriptures. And I have been here daily since I got in town on, on uh, Tuesday afternoon to receive the word of the Lord. And I've been enriched. I want to finish my list. 
I want to go to the bottom of that list. Whatever he wants of me, I want to be willing to go as far down that list as I've got to. And if you weren't here today, you don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm not telling you because the tape ministry would rather you would buy the, the CD and be blessed by that. But thank you to each of you. I'm, I'm gratified by your kindness. Amen. I, uh, I, I, give, I give honor to the sound man. It's Friday night. I've busted two tonsils and three arteries. And I can still talk. It's a little rough, but I can still speak. And that's credit to the sound man. I do wish also to pay tribute to the wonderful, sweet people that are so gracious to call me pastor. I know they'll probably never hear this, but I've got some wonderful people that have committed to pray for me this week, and I'm so thankful for them. Amen. Okay, I have some help tonight. Come here, AJ. Hop up here, bud. You should never put some guy beside you that that's, much, that's that much better looking than you are. This is A.J. Jordan. And A.J.'s going to help me preach tonight. Amen. A.J. is from Tupelo. He told me tonight somebody slipped him ten bucks. There you go. Slipped him when they, when they recruited him to help me tonight. See, I, I had rocks last night. I got a handsome young man tonight. If you can't preach, illustrate. That's what they taught me in Bible school. But, but uh, they... Smile, the girls are looking. They, uh, they, they slipped him ten bucks to get him up here to do this. He told me tonight, I put it in the offering for Tupelo. He's going to help me preach tonight. You want to go take my chair over there for just a minute, and I'll let you know when your time comes. 2 Kings chapter 11. You don't have to sit unless you want to. I don't care. I wasn't telling you to go sit in the corner or something like that. 2 Kings chapter 11 and verse number 1. Thank you. Looking forward to preaching one more time, splattering what remains of my vocal cords on the back wall of the sanctuary. 2 Kings chapter 11 and verse number 1. Scripture says, And when Athaliah... The mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber, from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. There was a purpose in their actions. I'm going to keep that boy alive. I'll do what I have to to protect him from an enemy that would like to destroy him. And he was hid. He was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years. I'm going to preach tonight by the help of the Lord. And Lord, I hope you're going to help me. I'm going to preach, oh, that makes me nervous. I'm going to preach tonight that we have an obligation. I'm going to preach to parents. I'm going to preach to grandparents. I'm going to preach to pastors. I'm going to preach to aunts and uncles. Listen to me. We have a responsibility to hide our children.
There is an enemy that wants to kill our kids. Somebody's got to get involved and say, oh, no, you don't. You're not putting your hands on this one. Now, I understand last night's of meetings. Brother Chambers, our former general superintendent, Missouri district superintendent for a while, said he wished he could figure out a way to have a meeting without a last night. I told him that's heaven. But he said, everybody checks out on the last night. Well, a lot of you just checked in, and I'm glad you're here. But if I could preach a one thing that ought to capture your heartstrings, it's your children, your grandchildren, the little kids that sit on the pews on your church, those little crumb crunchers that are in Sunday school on Sunday, somebody has to take up the war cry and say not one more child, not one more teenager, not one more life destroyed. I will hide these children. Now put your hands together and shout with a loud voice unto God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You can be seated. My son is 17 years old. Next, later this year, he has a chance to be 18. If I let him live. My daughter is 13. 13. Young men, she's 15 years from dating age. That's good preaching right there. When my children were younger, and that's double dating, by the way, 15 years. Yeah. Hmm, just felt my liberty. When my children were young, they, um, we used to enjoy around the house playing hide and seek. It was one of those fun things that we did. And we, um, we, we didn't have a real, real large house, but we got real creative in where to hide. And, and it was just fun times. We'd, we'd do it lots of places. In fact, I remember one time uh, we were visiting Marvin and Claudette Walker. Sister Claudette Walker is my first cousin. Don't ever talk bad about somebody in the UPC. You're probably talking to a relative. She's my first cousin, and we were visiting them. And I, I can't for my life remember if it was just when they moved to Tupelo or just when they moved up to, to the Detroit area. I don't remember which move it was. Wherever it was, they had just bought a house. They hadn't even moved anything in yet. Didn't have a stick of furniture in the house except one floor lamp. And my kids decided they were going to play hide-and-seek in that house. It's kind of hard to hide in empty rooms. My daughter hit her face, started counting. Jeremy ran over and unscrewed the lampshade off the lamp, put it on his head, and stood in the corner. <laughs> Fooled her for a minute. One day when Jessica was very young, I was, I was counting and she was hiding, and I went looking for her. And I hunted and hunted, and I thought I knew all the places that she could get, and I, got, I couldn't find her. I finally gave up, and I just started hollering, Jessica, Daddy gives up. Come on out. Where are you, darling? Come on out. I was walking through the house yelling, and she didn't come out. And, and I, I started getting just a little nervous whether or not she was okay because she was very young, a couple years old maybe. And, and I, she wouldn't come out. And I, I didn't think she'd got outside, but I got a little nervous, and I started yelling a little more frantically, Jessica, darling, where are you, sweetheart? Come out. Where are you? And, and, and nothing. And I was getting pretty worked up. And I finally went running through our bedroom 
And I happened to notice an unusual lump in the side of the dirty clothes hamper. She had crawled inside of there and then fallen asleep. At that season, my wife and I had in the master bedroom there a water bed, and it had one of those storage things underneath with drawers and little doors that open, and you could slide stuff underneath there. One time when the kids were going to be searching for me, I, I got down and scooted, scunched back inside that thing, pulled the door shut. They hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted and couldn't find me and started yelling they were giving up. And so I, I said, I'm in here. And something about all those gallons of water over the top of me just kind of masked where the voice was coming from. It seemed to just emanate from the heavens. They freaked out. For just the slightest moment, they thought God was speaking to them. And I seized the moment and told them several things they needed to hear. Clean up your room. Man, it was great. I just, I tell you that to just say that this hide and seek thing was a time of giggles and fun and there was a lot of laughter and it was just enjoyment. It was a, 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 a season of just entertainment and there wasn't anything very serious about it. But I believe I ought to preach to you tonight that hiding can be a much more serious matter. Most of us have read the famous autobiography by Corey Ten Boom known as The Hiding Place in which a family in Holland, the city of Amsterdam during World War II determined to hide all of the fleeing Jews that they could or were running for their life from the Holocaust. Members of the underground resistance effort came into their home which was actually two houses joined together at kind of an offset angle. And as the architects that came in there looked at it, they discovered the potential to build for them there a very special secret hidden room so that when the day came that the almost inevitable raid by the Gestapo arrived there would be a place there that those Jews who were marked for destruction they were to gather up their belongings they ran to the top floor and in behind a closet through a little secret panel in the wall and there they entered into a special hiding place that had been built for them it had been carefully manufactured shirt. The false wall that was built there was painted in such a way as to age it so it looked like the other old walls around. Great care was taken so that it didn't look too professional and it didn't look too new but it would be sound enough and solid enough to provide the protection that was needed when the enemy came with destruction and when that day came that the nearly inevitable raid arrived the Nazis spent an extended season knocking on walls and knocking holes in the plaster trying to find that place that they felt sure must be there I promise you this was anything except a friendly game of hide and seek because life and death hung in the balance on that day if they were found a quick trip to the extermination camp was all that awaited them I promise you at that moment the people inside that closet were very grateful that somebody found it valuable enough to take the time and the money to build them a place of safety. 
I promise you at that moment, the skill of the builder suddenly came into value. Suddenly all the steps that were taken were worth everything. Maybe when it was being built, some of them said, I don't really think all this is necessary. I don't know that you have to do all that. Show me where it says you have to do that. But when the enemy was outside the door, there was somebody saying, thank God that somebody went the extra mile. Thank God they didn't listen to the naysayers. Thank God they did what they had to to keep me safe. All right. Please don't make me work this hard. It may be right now that some of you say, I'm not sure this is worth the price. And there may even be some kids and teenagers saying, Mom, Dad, Pastor, why are you doing this? But when the enemy comes outside their door, they're going to run back to you and say, Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Pastor. Come on, somebody. They're going to say thank you for having convictions. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for supporting the pastor. Thank you for keeping us in church. Thank you for disciplines that kept us safe. I come today to challenge the church that we must take seriously the need to hide our children. If the beautiful little girls and the handsome young men that populate our pews are going to have important moments at the altar, if their potential is going to unfold in years ahead, if their tomorrows will be rich with the anointing, grounded in doctrine, and established in holiness, it's going to be because somebody gets intentional and says, I'm going to make sure that happens. All right. You're looking at an angry preacher tonight. I'm not mad at you, but I'm sick of the devil thinking he's got rights to our kids. I'm sick of the devil thinking he's got rights to our young people. I've had it up to here with believing that a certain percentage of our preacher kids have to backslide. I've had it up to here with seeing preachers and wives weeping over kids. I'm getting militant. I'm getting mad. I'm just about to rise up on my hind legs and say enough is enough is enough is enough. These are God's kids. These are God's kids. These are God's kids. In Luke chapter 15, we read the account of three lost things. You know it well. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. I'll shed tears over that poor sheep that wandered away and got scared by the storm and wound up shipwrecked on the side of the cliff somewhere. I'll shake my head and weep over the poor choices of that boy that led him from the father's bounty to the lowly hog pen. But the thing that just eats my lunch is that coin. Because it was lost in the house. 
It wasn't on some distant hillside with the wolves limping at its heels and the strong winds trying to blow it into oblivion. It wasn't down in the hog lot wishing it could put its face into the trough where the hogs are eating. It was right in the house. Are you hearing me? It was close enough to hear the choir sing. It was close enough to hear the preacher preach. It was close enough to see him anoint with oil. But it was still lost. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I don't want one of our children lost. I don't want one of our children lost. Somebody has to make a commitment to hide the children. Let me be brutally honest about this importance tonight. There is an enemy which has his sights set on our children. Let me try again. Satan has his sights set on our children make no mistake about it the deceiver of man's souls does not play by any set of ethics or any code of conduct he doesn't give children a free pass he is so morally bankrupt that he is just as delighted and perhaps more so to destroy the soul of a child as he is to destroy the soul of an adult he has his sights set on the little young boy that you tuck into bed every night. He has his sights set on that little curly-headed girl that you pick up and bring to Sunday school. He plans to confuse. He plans to bind. He plans to destroy every one of these children. When Satan looks at AJ, you know what he sees? He sees a future fornicator. He sees a future drug addict. He sees a future morally bankrupt individual. He sees a future doctrinal compromiser. He sees somebody that's going to be broken, wounded, and shattered. And it makes me so mad I can't see straight. Because I want to get in front of him and say, oh no. Oh no you don't. Oh no you don't. I'll tell you what I see. I see a preacher. I see a missionary. I see a prayer warrior. I see a soul winner. And if I've got to fight, I'll fight. If I've got to fast, I'll fast. If I've got to pray all night, I'll pray all night. But Satan, get your hands off of him. He doesn't belong to you. He belongs to my daddy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm ticked. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I really am. I get a little bombastic when I preach, but I'm an easygoing guy. Really, you have to work hard to offend me. People come up to me and say, Brother Graham, I need to apologize. I think I offended you. Please tell me what it was so I can get real mad so I can forgive you. I just refuse to walk through life with a chip on my shoulder and my feelings hurt all the time. I just don't do it. If you walk up me after church tonight and you say, Brother Graham, I, I really think in my considered opinion you're the sorriest preacher I've ever heard. I'm just going to smile at you, walk away feeling sorry for you that you've got such poor taste in preachers. I don't know who's the biggest, baddest motor scooter in this place. 
Brother Elms, you're a pretty good-sized boy. Jump up for a minute. That, that's that's full-grown lad right there. That's that's Texas man right there. He's a pretty good-sized boy. Where's Jessica? You don't have to stand up. Just where is she? My little blonde right there. If after church I walked outside and I saw you had her by the throat slapping her back and forth, you better hope you got some brothers. Because it's going to take four of them your size to pull me off of you. Because spit in my eye if you will, but touch my child and I'll jump on you with all four feet. Satan, you may attack me, but start putting your hands on the kids in my Sunday school and we fixing to get down and dirty. Come on, somebody at church needs to get militant. We can't be haphazard. These are God's kids. These are God's kids. These are God's kids. I say let a voice come out of the prayer room. Let a voice come over the pulpit. Let a voice come out of the pew that says, oh no, they're worshipers, they're choir leaders, they're pastors, they're music directors, they're witnesses. On this evening, I charge the church. Hide the children. They've got to be hidden from wickedness. Come on, preach with me. They've got to be hidden from worldliness. They've got to be hidden from temptation. They've got to be hidden from criticism. They've got to be hidden from gossip. They've got to be hidden from negativism. They've got to be hidden from the garbage of this world. Mom and dad, you listen to me. It's a lie out of the belly of hell that UPC stands for underprivileged children. You're not mistreating your kids by keeping them in the church. Testing, one, two, 17. Your kids are not being mistreated. Nobody's going to call DCFS. Nobody's going to come and take your kids away and say you're a bad parent because you keep them in the church and you keep them in prayer meetings and you keep them in Sunday school. They're not being cheated. They're not being shortchanged, Mama. Keep those kids hidden. Keep those kids hidden. Oh, but Brother Graham, you know, there's so many things that kids can't do. Correct. Correct. They can't have a drug addiction. They can't have a baby out of wedlock. They can't have an abortion. They can't. And the devil's trying to make you feel guilty for being faithful. Trying to make you feel guilty for planting your family in the church. I wish somebody would rise up and say, wait just a minute. I'm going to recommit myself. I'm going to recommit my family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some things are not worth fighting for. My opinion, not worth fighting for. My feelings, not worth fighting for. My ideas, not worth fighting for. Worth fighting for. Honey, if you're going to give yourself to anything, fight for this. If you're going to give yourself to anything, fight for this. It's root hog or die. We're going down till one of us can't.
But Satan, I'm not going to take it anymore. You don't have right to our families. You don't have right to our children. You don't have right to our young people. I want my kids to love the church. I want my kids to love the preaching of the word. I want my kids to love the people of God. I want them to love worship. I want them to love giving. So therefore, they're never going to hear one negative word out of my mouth about the church. Excuse me a moment. Pardon me. This is for some of you. Amen. Sit there and run down your preacher and then wonder why they don't respond to the altar. Sit there and talk about how hypocritical people are and then wonder why they don't get excited about church. Everything my kids are going to hear is the church is wonderful. Pastor is great. The work of God is wonderful. It's a joy to worship. It's a joy to give. It's a joy to pray. I'm going to build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up because I'm trying to hide them. I'm going to hide them from anything that tries to fight against it. I got more notes than I got time. Athaliah was one of the most wicked rulers in Judah. After the splitting of the kingdom, the southern two tribes suffered under a roller coaster progression of kings and queens. A few righteous, but most were evil. And among those evil leaders, taking a place as one of the most sadistic of them all, is this lady named Athaliah. For when her son, King Ahaziah, died, an extraordinary circumstance unfolds. His mother, Athaliah, immediately sets about to kill all of those who were his heirs to ensure that he had no one to take his throne and thus the royal lineage would pass back up to her and so she said out to kill her own grandbabies. But the sister of the deceased, her name was Jehosheba. She found one of the little heirs, little Joash. She got to him before Athaliah did. She got to him first. She didn't wait till he was 13 and try to become faithful then. She started when he was just an infant and said, I'm going to start putting something in him against tomorrow. She got to him first. She grabbed that little boy, just an infant, and hit him in the bedchamber. For six years, that child was protected from his own grandmother who would have killed him if given the chance. There are several lessons that I learned from this. You say, how many? I ain't telling. I don't want you whittling notches in the back of the pew every time I move to the next one. But the first thing I learned is this. That the enemy is utterly ruthless. Now, 
I told you last night, those of you who are here, I'm 43, nothing's changed since then. And I am not a grandparent as yet. And several years need to pass before that event occurs. And so I cannot speak to this phenomenon personally, but I have observed it closely. Something happens to otherwise sane individuals when their first grandbaby is born. They go nuts. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm going to be the cheapest of sinners. I'll be so pitiful I'll need medication. So I'm not making fun of you. But you dear people that are grandpas, you're nuts. People that were fiscally conservative start spending more on film and toys than the gross domestic product of some third world nations. Have a picture of your grandkid? You don't even have to ask. Would you like to see a picture of my grandkid? Not really. Calm, restrained, emotionally balanced individuals lose their ever-loving mind and have a great time doing it. Right? I watched Skinny Enzy over there kneeling on the floor over here when his firstborn grandson got the Holy Ghost Tuesday night. why he's bucking and jumping and worshiping up here honey his grandson just talked in tongues on Tuesday night brother Michael I don't mean to break your heart but he probably didn't get that excited when you got the Holy Ghost yeah I did I'm kidding I'm kidding but I say all that to say this here was a grandmother who would have slit the throat of her own infant grandson and then gone to have dinner without one pain of remorse. You can't negotiate with a person like that. You can't say to them, let's sit down and talk it out. You can't say, let's have coffee and meet some middle ground. You can't pacify them by saying, I'll give in on this and you give in on this. Oh, no. All you can do with that one is rip your sword out and say, baby cakes, it's you or me. But you aren't touching that kid. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. You can't talk it out. You can't reach a negotiated settlement. If you give this much, he'll ask for this much. There's no middle ground. You can't negotiate. You just got to fight, 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 fight. You can't negotiate with the enemy. There's certain crimes that I can't reconcile in my mind. There's some individuals 
they better pray I don't get a jury summons. And I know they shall have judgment without mercy that showeth no mercy. I know that's in the book. But I'm afraid my Bible quoting abilities might fade just a little bit if I was ever on the jury of some fungus-infested creature that had been burning his baby with lit cigarettes. I'm going to have a hard time when his mama stands up and says, well, he, he had a rough childhood. Sorry, I'm, just, I'm confessing my own lack. I need to pray through. Pray for me. But I'm going to be ready to just hogtie him and turn him loose to Guantanamo Bay or something. Because I, I just can't understand how you hurt a child. I just can't understand how you abuse a child. I just can't get my mind around that. And that's why tonight, when I look at that handsome young man, and I realize God's got a calling for him, and something for him to do, and there's a devil out there wanting to burn his soul, it makes me so mad I want to rise up and say, Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I've got to give. I don't care how much I bleed. That kid is going to be protected because I'm going to hide that child. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching about your kid. I wish you'd get passionate about this right now. I wish you'd just kind of make an expression to God that says, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'll do whatever I have to do to fight you. The second thing I learned is that our children's potential is what makes them a target. Athaliah didn't go down the street killing kids at random. She picked those out because of who they were going to become. And Jehoshua didn't hide kids at random. She said, I got to hide that one because of the potential that's resident in him. Athaliah knows she better get him now because if he ever grows up if he ever matures if he ever becomes what God wants him to be he's going to tear her world up All right, here we go in, 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 the, in the sweet church that calls me pastor we've got two little children's choirs the junior jammers and the mini melodies. Okay, collective. Oh, okay. How'd you get that out? They got their own little choir robes, little mini melodies, MM. And they come out there, they sing about once a month or so on Sunday morning. Now, the junior jammers sing, the mini melodies don't sing. They just stand out there and look cute. They don't sing. They just spend most of the time looking at the screen, see their picture up there on the screen. That's all they do. They don't sing. The, the choir director sings. The choir director spends a great deal of time going. But they don't sing. They just sit there and pick their nose, pick their neighbor's nose, just whatever. But there are flash bulbs going off in that place, like a press conference at the White House. People I can't get to the front.
come to the front. They're up there, and everybody's laughing. I would love to tell you it's a real high and holy worship moment, but it's not. You don't want to preach right behind it. Everybody's nudging their neighbor and laughing and look at him and see him, and this one's, you know, taking her dress over her head. You know how it goes. You know how all that stuff is. And, and so one day they're filing off, and we're, and we're all laughing and nudging and, ha, oh, wasn't that funny? And it hit me. We're laughing. Laughing, hell has ulcers. Because hell's looking at them and saying, if I don't do something, that choir is going to become that choir. If I don't do something, the next music director is there. The next keyboardist is there. The next songwriter is there. Oh, they may just be playing right now, but one day they're going to sing under the anointing and sinners are going to come to the altar and the devil says, I got to kill them. I got to destroy them. I got to morally bankrupt them. That's why the church has to say no, 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 no. I'm fighting for our future. I'm fighting for the church. Come on, somebody hide the children. If I don't get them now, if I let them spend about 10 years in Sunday school, if I let them learn a couple thousand junior quizzing verses, then I'm going to have a soul winner on my hands that I can't deal with. Church, you listen to me. Our children's ministries and our churches are more than just babysitting. Did you hear what I said? Sunday school teachers are more than just glorified nose wipers. You are not just anointed cookie distributors. You're hiding royalty. You're protecting conquerors. You're sheltering somebody that's going to tear the devil's throne down. The next time you're praying for a child, you know what you're doing? You're defending a sermon that hasn't been preached yet. You're protecting a song that hadn't been written. You're protecting a home Bible study that hadn't been taught. They're all right there in the hearts and the futures of those noisy little kids. But somebody's got to see them, not for what they are, but what they're going to be. Children are not a burden to the church. They don't mess stuff up. They don't cost too much. They don't impose on our little perfect services. They aren't a problem. They are a potential. Now, this is where it's going to get tough, and some of you are going to get mad at me, but I don't care because unless you're a Continental Airlines pilot, I'm not scared of you. The third thing I learned is that the hiding process starts at home. I know it talks about him being hid in the house of God, but you go back and read it. The first place he was hidden was in the bedchamber. Before the church hid him, the home hid him.
my dentist's office, down at the end of the room, when you're laid back in that chair, and he's doing unspeakable things to you, as he is doing things that really just make our make Guantanamo Bay look like a resort. He's doing things the CIA has outlawed. I'm confessing to Nazi war crimes if he'll just quit. Down there on the end of the room, there's a plaque making fun of me. It says, the dentist cannot do what the patient refuses to do. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, fathead, if you'd have flossed occasionally, he wouldn't be drilling holes in your head. But what he's saying is, you can't come prancing in here once every six months and expect him to make up for your lack of faithfulness. It's going to get ugly. He said, you can't bring yourself in here every now and again and think that intermittent doses of special care are going to make up for what you won't do every week. If you want to be strong, if you want to be healthy, it's every day, every day, every day, every day. I'm here to tell you the church can't hardly do what you will not do. Come on, moms and dads, you got to hide them at home. you got to hide them at home. You've got to hide them at home. Shield their eyes at home. Guard their ears at home. Protect their hearts at home. Because 15 sermons about faithfulness here will be undone by one example of unfaithfulness there. And a dozen altar calls about commitment at your church will be outweighed by a lack of commitment at home. Do you hear me well? I'm not preaching condemnation because I know you can do everything you could possibly do at home. And when kids grow up, they make choices. And sometimes they make self-destructive ones. And in spite of your best efforts and all your prayers, they do things that break your heart. And I am not preaching to make you feel bad about what you wish you could redo. We can't go back and live in yesterday. But I'll tell you what we can. We can say, I've had it up to here. And I'm going to redouble my efforts to make sure that's the last one that ever falls to his tricks. Parents, you've been entrusted with precious gifts. Your pastor is going to attempt to lead your children to heaven. And he's going to do his best to preach them into the altars repeatedly. But I'm going to tell you right now that he can't do what you won't do. Your son is going to worship if you worship. Your daughter's going to give if you give. Your son's going to love the lost if you love the lost. What is privately invested in them will either strengthen and cement or it will undermine mind and destroy what is publicly preached and taught to them hiding starts at home our kids need godly examples come on say amen to that our kids need godly examples I was in Botswana about five years ago and I went on a game drive it was the coolest thing I've ever done 
It is so neat, man. You're in a truck with no top and no sides, and, and you're, you're, well, you stay out in this thing inside a fence. It's a zoo in reverse. Yes, sir. You're inside the fence. The animals are free. And they sit out there outside the fence and look at you with a hungry look in their eyes. And twice a day, morning and evening, you get in this truck that has no sides and no top, and you drive out amongst them. It is bad to the bone. Because don't, they don't try to see how far they can stay away from them. They try to see how close they can get nigh unto them. We pulled out and parked with lions just right. I mean, it ain't lions that ate cut up horse meat for breakfast in the zoo. They're licking blood off their muzzles from what they killed that morning. It is so cool. But the guide told us, he said, look at the lions. He said, now I'm going to get you smiling, then I'm going to bust you right in the nose. So you better start ducking now if you don't want to get hit. He said, what color are the lions? I said, well, they're brown, you know, just kind of that tawny, dusty brown. He said, yeah. He said, but I want you to look at the back of their ears. The backs of their ears are jet black. He said, why do you think that is? They didn't wash behind their ears. I don't know. He said, think about it. I said, I'm on vacation. I ain't trying to think. He, I said, just tell me. That's what they're paying you money for. He said, I'll show you some other animals. Maybe it'll come to you. We go down, we see this antelope. It's all that nice brown color blends in with the grass and the dirt. Except right on its hindquarters, on either side of its tail, there's a little black stripe. He said, why do you think that is? I don't know. He said, well, keep thinking. We drove on. Saw this totally different kind of antelope. All brown. Except its tail has got this black stripe right down the back of it. He said, why do you think that is? I said, I think I'm fixing to throw you out of the truck if you don't tell me. And I couldn't get to my pen fast enough to write it down. When that man looked at me and said, if the adults blend in completely with the world around them, their young will not know where it's safe to walk. He said, if those adults look just like the world, their kids won't know what's safe. And he said, so they maintain some distinctives in their appearance so their kids will know where it's safe to walk. Come on, mama, everything's not about you. Come on, grandpa, everything's not about you. Some things we're doing for the next generation. Some things we're doing so they'll know what's safe. Well, prove to me that's a sin. Just prove to me it'll help my kids go to heaven. You don't have to prove to me it'll take me to hell. All you got to do is show me that if I do this, my kids have got a better chance to be saved. And I'll do it today. And I'll do it tomorrow. And I'll do it the next day. And I'll do it the next day. Because I'm trying to hide my children. First Kings chapter 8. We want a king. You don't want a king. 
Yeah, we do. All the nations have a king. Why can't we have a king like they've got? Why can't we live like they live? Why can't we do what they do? Give us a king. You don't want a king. Oh, yeah, we want a king. All right. Here's what it's going to cost you. He's going to take the tenth of your grain. He's going to take the tenth of your olives. He's going to take the tenth of your grapes. But that's not what bothers me. You read it for yourself. Say, he's going to take your sons. And he's going to take your daughters. Because if you demand to be like the world, the price will be largely extracted by the generation to come. You didn't hear me. If you bow up and say, I've got a right to do that. I've got a right to do that. Somewhere down the line, the next generation is going to pay the price for our desire to be like the world. I'm just saying, oh, no, 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 no. I'm trying to save another generation. I do not have to have my way. Hide them at home. Isn't it amazing? Parents can get them to Little League. Parents can get them to karate lessons. But have a five-night youth week and they plot out which nights they can make it. And then they're shocked when their kids go off to college. If you're going to have one priority for your kids, get them in church. It matters more than Little League. It matters more than karate lessons. Because I'm not trying to raise a ball player and I'm not trying to raise a kung fu fighter. I'm trying to raise a child of God. I'm trying to raise a preacher. I'm trying to raise a soul winner. I'm trying to raise a prayer warrior. We need to be as intentional about training them for God as we are about training them for other stuff. Hide them at home. It is wholly unfair to expose them to corruption at home and then expect the altar to somehow clean them up. You can't expose them to unfaithfulness and then expect the pulpit to preach them to a place of commitment. You can't expose them to criticism of the church and of the pulpit at home and then expect the Holy Ghost to baptize them with a love for the family of God. You can't expose them to an us-first mentality in your finances and in your time and then expect a sermon to persuade them to give their life on the altar. Hide them at home. And lastly, hiding is only complete in the house of God. Because she hid him in the bedchamber, but she took him to the house of God. Senator Clinton wrote a book, you're familiar probably, It Takes a Village, saying that it takes a whole community of people to raise a child. I have a problem with that political mindset. Our children are not the possession of the state. Watch. 
And they aren't your possession either. They are the heritage of the Lord. But now watch. While I have serious difficulties with that political statement that she made, I do understand the spiritual principle that collectively as the church, we have to hide our children. Because we've got children that don't have parents that train them in the way of righteousness. The church has to hide them. In Mississippi, this spring, they have Sunday School Department in Mississippi has Holy Ghost Children's Revivals in every section. The director down there by the cannon told me that he was praying with a little girl on the altar. He came down. She was standing all by herself with her hands raised, tears running down her cheek. He stepped down there to her, and before he could say one word, he heard her pray these words. My mama doesn't love me. And my daddy doesn't love me. Jesus, you're all I've got left. Please don't let me down. That's the last word she spoke in English. Because Jesus didn't let her down. The church has to be a haven. Hear me. We must be a praying church for our children are learning to pray or not to pray right now. We've got to be a worshiping church because our children are learning to worship or not to worship right now. We've got to be a giving church because our kids are learning to give or not to give right now. We've got to be a holy church because our kids are learning to be holy or not holy right now. Church, I'm trying to be friendly, but I think there's something wrong when our children can quote the entire starting lineup for the Astros or the Rangers, but they don't know who the apostles are. Something's wrong when they can name all the books in the Harry Potter series, but they don't know the books of the Old Testament. God help us when our young children know all the Hollywood personalities, but they stare at us blankly when we ask them why we baptize in Jesus' name. Church, we've got to hide our children. Listen, listen, I'm not... I would to God, I know it's probably not even realistically possible, but I would to God that every child in my church didn't even know who Britney Spears is. I wish it were true. I was talking about this one night. Why don't you stand with me? I'm done. I, I was talking about this one night and had a lady come up to me after church. She had her nose all wrinkled up in 78 attitude wrinkles. She looked at me and said, well, you know, preacher. We can't raise our kids too sheltered. I looked right back at her. I said, you're absolutely right. We can't raise them too sheltered. I'm going to try to shelter them every way I can. Because there's an enemy out there trying to rape their souls. 
Well, you can't keep them in a greenhouse. They've got to learn to weather storms sometimes. Yes, but not as seedlings. As seedlings, we put them in a greenhouse. And we shelter them from the winds of doctrine. And we protect them from the storms of temptation. And we try to build a bubble around them so their roots can go down deep. And then when we have to transplant them to college, their root structure is solid enough, solid enough to keep them. I lost a... Jade, he goes, he, that's all right. That's all right. Come here, bub. Come here. On the end of the pew. Come up here. You handsome rascal, you. Godly looking young man. Hey, come here, bud. Come here. I, I, I'm two for one. Come here. Take your 10 bucks back. For the next 40 years. Ahaziah provided godly leadership for the nation of Judah with 40 years of uninterrupted godly reign. It never would have happened if one lady that we don't hear anything else about had not been willing to say my role I don't have to have a title. I don't have to have a position. Nobody has to even know I did it. But that enemy ain't touching them. Without her, they would have been statistics. With her, they became righteous kings. What are your kids going to be in your church? Kings or statistics? Boy, I feel like somebody ought to want to pray tonight. I, I kind of wish there'd be a mom and dad that would get each other by the hand right now and say, you know what, just before we go our way at the end of this camp, we're going to walk up front. I know your kids are over in another place and you can't pull them up. I'm not talking about praying for them right now. I'm asking if maybe you could pray for yourself. I wonder if there's not some moms and dads that would come down to your hand and hand to the altar and just say, Jesus, you can count on me. There's kings in my household. There's soldiers in my household. There's a preacher in my household. There's a country that he's going to reach. I've got to protect that country. There's a church that he's going to start. i got to protect that church. There's a home Bible study he's going to teach. Somewhere there's a couple that's counting on his witness. I'm looking for grandparents that would come down here, get with your kids, and say, as for me and my house, I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to fight. It's going to start in my home. Ours is going to be a holy habitation. Ours is going to be a house of righteousness. Ours is going to be a place of faithfulness. Ours is going to be a place of faithfulness.